Hello, Parkview. This is Pastor Thomas, and I want to welcome you to another week of the Parkview Groups podcast. This is for the episode for the week of May 8th through 14th. And my goal each week here is to inform and guide group members and train group leaders at Parkview to make whole disciples. We are continuing our series on the definition of a whole disciple. And this week, if you are at Central Campus, we'll be talking about love or loving Jesus. And at East Campus, it will be Pastor Mark, who will be talking about living Jesus. So remember, what is a whole disciple? Forgiven child of God who is taking the next step to learn Jesus, love Jesus, and live Jesus. So each week we're taking one of those, what we call domains of discipleship, loving, living, learning, and unpacking it, showing you each of those three traits and uh, I was just writing this the little intro for the booklet that you're going to get in the coming weeks. And uh, just thinking about the nice way that this definition sort of unpacks. The more definition that you need, the more it will give you. Um, and the less you need, the less it will give you. So uh, we have that core definition, forgiven child of God, taking the next step, learn, love, live. And uh, the more you want to dive in on each of those domains, the more you can. So uh, I've been really encouraged listening to Mark, listening to Doug, got to listen to Doug's sermon at Easton person last week, and I'm just encouraged. I hope you are getting a greater and greater sense of what we mean when we say we want to make whole disciples, whole disciples. So uh, now community groups have a big part to play in that, don't they? Community groups make whole disciples by cultivating an environment of relational safety where the spiritual initiative of the group leads to the growth of each member. There. We have it, the, the warm, nutritious, relational soil so that the content of Christ can begin to make an impact on our lives. So thank you for being a part of that this semester. And on that note, let's start talking about some items coming up. All right. So as I was saying, thank you. For all of your effort, group leaders, especially, and group members too, you play a big part in this, in uh, helping us accomplish that goal, becoming a whole church, forming whole disciples this semester. Um, and I say it that way because this spring session, we're calling it, is coming to an end at the end of this month. And we will start our summer session on June 4th. Uh, so what that means, if you're hearing that and you're panicking, thinking, wow, how did I not know about this? What? It is not a big deal. Okay, it's not a big deal. Nothing is changing majorly. If you want to continue meeting with your group and doing your thing, uh, no one's stopping you. And um, we're offering a little bit different content in each of these sessions. So, um, and we're obviously also offering a break for our leaders and sort of a change of pace. So that's really all you need to know. Now, you should have gotten an email from Emily Kakmarinski, our admin extraordinaire, um, asking you, a few simple questions. Basically, do you want to continue in your current group, move to a new group, or uh, take some time away from group life, or become a group leader, by the way. Highly recommend that option uh, if you feel the Lord is calling you that way. But anyway, you should respond to that email as soon as possible because we'd love to know about that. If you're in a group and you have no idea what I'm talking about, then that probably means that you are not in our group system. Um and if that's the case and you don't know how to do that, please reach out to our office, you know, office at parkviewchurch.org, and they would be happy to get you uh, sorted out with that. So anyway, we're starting our summer session, Reading Gentle and Lowly, together. There was a, 
uh, we had the great opportunity to interview the author of Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland, uh, just a few weeks ago. And you can check out that podcast um, to hear a little bit more about the book. But that's our plan for the summer. So get ready for things to change gears. This podcast will not exist, basically, is in its current form in the summer and will pick back up again in the fall. So anyway, groups, spring session ending, summer session starting, get ready. Secondly, this year, our theme for VBS, Vacation Bible School. This is something we've done for as long as I've been at Parkview. Um, it's a great thing for our kids as they learn Jesus together. And it's also a great outreach. Uh, we always have children come who don't know Jesus at all, who come to know Jesus. We're always praying for that. And uh, so this year, the theme is Stellar. It's all about shiny Jesus light. Now, Stellar would refer to a star, like interstellar. It's about shiny Jesus light. So it is, the dates for this summer are June 12th through 16th. So we're about a month out right now. And it's 9 a.m. to noon on Monday through Friday. So three hours in the morning, five days of that week. Our preschool class is already full for that, and the other grades are beginning to fill up. So if you are an adult looking for uh, a next step to take in living Jesus by helping others take the next step, you can serve at VBS. That'd be a great place to start. Our team is in need of several more adult small group leaders in particular. Um, This is great. They give you everything you need to lead. You don't need to be a creative person. You don't need to make up content or curriculum or know all the answers to every questions. You'll be teaching children. And they always have good questions that will be thought-provoking, but you don't need to be afraid of not having the answer for them. So it'll go really well. Um, So if you sense that that could be a good fit for you, June 12th through 16th, 9 a.m. to noon, that's the whole Monday through Friday, would love your help, whether you're thinking of sending your children or volunteering yourself. So uh, you can find more about that, easy easy peasy, parkfuturechorg slash VBS. Keeping it simple. Thank you, Devin. She gives me the thumbs up. All right. Now, this week, like I mentioned, we are, if you are at East Campus and you're listening to this, you're going to learn about living Jesus. And if you're at Central Campus, it'll be love Jesus. So this might be the right moment to take a look and make sure you are on the right episode for this week. It's been a little bit complicated to figure this out. So sorry if that's been confusing, Um, but just make sure you're on the right episode and you will get the right thing for you this week. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. As we continue to talk about our DWD, our definition of a whole disciple, we're going to talk in the category of live Jesus. And one of those subcategories is pursue the Spirit's leading prayerfully. I love this one. Uh, Scripture has a lot to say about it, and I want to share some scriptures with you that I think are significant. The psalmist in the 143rd Psalm says, Teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. There's just a prayer there of, I I need your leadership. Uh, Romans 8, I'm going to read more here than than, uh, some of the other texts, but I think it's so good because it's leading us up to it. It starts out with those wonderful words, there's now, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. 
who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. What a thought. The psalmist also writes, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truths and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. The words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In the 16th chapter, he writes, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into truth, and he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you things that are to come. I know it's one everybody knows, but I couldn't help but throw it in here. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Another one that maybe you wouldn't have thought of in this, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? All right, so why that passage? Let's go back to what it would mean just in plain language to pursue the Spirit's leading prayerfully. I think simply put, the the Christian is committed to prayerfully seeking the guidance and instruction of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Practically, it, it is continually surrendering each day to the Lord and asking that he would take over or take control of our lives. And it's based on a recognition that our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. And when we think about how the Lord did that through Christ and that giving of himself to us, and then that he would give us the spirit to indwell us, how amazing. If we have the Spirit of the living God indwelling us and we're not then prayerfully asking that Spirit to take control, that's crazy. It's like having a relationship that there's no communication. Why why would we not want to seek the power and the guidance that the Spirit offers? And what God gives us, he gives to us appropriately. It's right. That's why I shared that Matthew 7 passage, to ask, to seek, to knock. And and we have a, a Father who gives to us well, who, whose Spirit will, will answer our questions, will guide us and give us what we need. So a good 
diagnostic question then would be what does health look like in this area of discipleship? If you're healthy, what does it mean to pursue the Spirit's leading prayerfully? I think one of the great evidences of this would be peace. There's a comforting surrender that comes with this discipline. It's that acknowledgement that, that God has taken up residence in me. You know, in our day and age, we come to appreciate GPS, right? We don't pull out those paper maps. I'm, Remember, my father used to take them out and he'd highlight routes and he would time it all out. But we just turn on a device and it tells us, turn here, turn there. And it used to be in, in, in the early days, if, if a GPS was wrong, you'd pass it. All of a sudden, it would say recalculating. They had to redo it. And, and, and if you've ever been on a GPS path where it led you astray, it was frustrating, right? Because it was not where you were going was not there. Uh, think of the Holy Spirit as, as sort of a life GPS within us. It's... And he's never wrong. He, he, he never has to recalculate. He, he, maybe when we go against what he leads, we follow the flesh and not the spirit, then he's got to help us find a way back. But his instruction is never wrong. So why would we not seek it and ask for it? If you want to grow in this area, a practice that uh, I might embrace to get established would be one that I actually took it personally from from an old Newsboys song, and, um, and the phrase was, I want to say a prayer before my feet hit the ground. Lord, I give this day to you. And they'd sing, breathe in, breathe out. And, and honestly, that song comes to my mind many mornings, if not most mornings, and, and I, I just find myself singing it in my head. But it, it follows with a prayer that says, today is your day. Spirit of the living God, guide me. Help me not to say things I shouldn't say. Give me truth to speak. Give me eyes to see what you want me to see. This day is yours. I'm your servant. You empower me to do what you want to do. And even the breathe in and breathe out, I love that idea of just uh, one of my prayers is just, just as I, even as I breathe, it's Lord, empty me of me, fill me with you. Empty me of me, fill me with you. And that speaks of the, you know, John a passage from John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. And that, that's that same mindset, Lord. I, I just need to try to get my own ways, my flesh out of the way so that you can take control and lead me. So it's empty me of me, fill me with you. If you want to grow in this area, a resource, I think, uh, Paul Miller writes some great books on prayer and uh, a praying life is a great one. Uh, Why Pray by John DeVries. It's a 40-day 40 40 reading on prayer. He's really good. Um, Pray Big by Alistair Begg. He, he's always, always good, never disappoints. Uh, Just Ask by J.D. Greer. There's others. Um, if you want to help others grow in the area, I think another, church, uh, or another book by Paul Miller is A Praying Church. I think... Um, what I would say to this, if you're going to be making disciples in this, you have, to, you have to live it first. And I would say live it out and it will be noticed. When your life is surrendered to Christ, where you're prayerfully saying, God, lead me today. Show me what to do. Help me to run from the things that tempt me and to run to, to the Spirit. Galatians 5 says we're either surrendered to ourselves or we're, uh, our sinful nature or we're surrendered to the Spirit. 
and it's spirit just take control, lead me and guide me. And when the spirit is in control of a life, people notice and people will want to follow if they seek to do that as well. If we go back to our DWD, it's this description of a whole disciple, which we call live Jesus. And within that, we have these three subcategories. And one of the th ways that we would say someone lives Jesus well is if they steward all of life for God's glory. We understand this idea of stewardship. It's, you know, it's through, we find it throughout Scripture. And First uh, Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In First Chronicles, we find both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand are power and in might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. James 1:17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Colossians 3, what a great chapter, right? Uh, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Matthew 25. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Proverbs uh, chapter 3, 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Finally, one we probably know well, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when we talk about being a steward, we hear, you know, we look at all those various texts that say things about it, but when we talk about being a steward, in plain language, really, it's, it's coming to a point of understanding that the Christian understands that everything is from God. It's owned by Him. It's not even for us. I mean, yes, we are blessed with it, but it's all about Him. Therefore, everything we have is actually His, and we're to act as caretakers of what is His. His ways and desires are supreme. He knows best, and our personal desires need to fall into submission to His. So it really is this idea of, of management. God entrusts you with that which is his, and you need to steward it well. And I think the problem sometimes comes in that we, we don't see it as his, we see it as ours. And that's where we can go astray really quickly because we become selfish and we start to make decisions about our time, about our resources, about things we're planning or priorities based upon what we want as opposed to being stewards of all that is his, which is our own lives. So one of the things we'd want to say is if we're going to go back, and again, a DDP is a description of a discipled person. So we've got to have some idea of understanding what this looks like if it's healthy. So 
I would say it's this idea of open-handed living. It's, it's the idea that I'm not going to run around and grab onto everything and hold so tight to it and guard it as though it's mine. And I think along with that open-handed living, we get to this point of, of letting some of the anxieties of this life and, and all that comes with it, it, it lets those down a little bit. You know, uh, anybody who's owned a lot of things realizes that it just is a lot of stress, right? Just to maintain things. It's, it, and it, when we release those things to the Lord and, and don't look at them as though this is mine and I, I make all the decisions, there's really a freeing point to that. And so then we, then we live life with this open-handed mindset of, hey, what's mine is the kingdom's. And yes, I'm steward of it. I'm to care for it. I'm to be wise with it. I'm not to be reckless with it. But uh, I, I like the term joyfully generous. I mean, that's what we saw there in, in 2 Corinthians 9, right? You know, to, to have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but cheerfully. And again, a lot, a lot of this goes towards finances, but it really is, it's of our time too. What do we do with our time? What are our priorities? Uh, how, how much do we consider others more important than ourselves? It's that generous way of living and and joyfully generous with our time, resources, our wisdom, and so on. If I want to go, grow in this area, what would one practic, practice be that might help you em, embrace it if it was established? And, and I would say it has to start with a mindset toward what's really valuable to us. Uh, there are some people that just don't really care that much about money. It's just, it's, it's a means to an end. It's, you know, it's a, it's a way to pay the rent or the mortgage. It's a way to, to eat. But they don't really care about that. Um, but they might care about other things. They might guard their time and they might whatever. So I would say starting with what maybe we guard the closest is really examining that and saying, uh, do I need to relax in this area? For many people, it's, it's just the, our finances and our resources. And it's can we back up and, and joyfully give the Lord the first fruits uh, of all that we have. A good uh, friend of mine, I remember him talking to me about, about tithing and he went through a lot of schooling and he made a decision even back in schooling to tithe off of his student loans. And his reasoning behind that was everything was the Lord's. It was, yes, he was borrowing it to have to pay it back, but the mindset was even those loans were a provision from God. And uh, the Lord has just blessed him and, and his family. He's uh, doing very well, continues to be very generous and often in a, in a stealthy way. I'm sure he's more generous than I'm even aware of. But the mindset was even, even when there's little, I'm faithful in that, or even when it's tight, I'm faithful in that. And it's, it's just totally changing our heart toward how we look at things. And then, then you take that from those, that central thing, that most maybe most um, uh, trying one or most challenging one, and then you move that into other areas of your life. It's, okay, when, when I look at how I've scheduled the week, yes, work demands a certain amount of time to me, but even uh, during my lunch hours, is there a way that I can be a blessing to others, or is that just a me time, or... What do I do with that time that's designated for my hobbies and things like that? And in what ways can I even use my hobbies to glorify the Lord or bless somebody else? Or maybe it means that there's a hobby that I do, but I'm, I, I bring in a, a young student who 
maybe doesn't have a dad and, and I work with him on this hobby and pull him into that and it gives me that chance for discipleship. Again, still doing things that I love, but, but doing it alongside someone who, who could really gain from that. And I guarantee when we start thinking that way and stewarding our time, even our, our, our hobbies, we, we then get to see that, man, there's more, way more fulfilling way to use our time because God can be working in that. Because why? We've said, I, I'm open-handed even about my time off, even about my hobby. So I think the goal is that it, we get to that mindset where we're just joyfully generous. There are um, many books on this, and I was struggling to think of what some of the that were that were significant, and, and I'm not sure about some of the more recent ones. Tim Keller's written uh, Every Good Endeavor, and I think Uncommon Ground, uh, an older one that goes way back, uh, but Charles Swindoll, he, he wrote Living Above the Level of Mediocrity, and I, I think he addresses that subject real well. I think sometimes it helps to have, you know, a real life picture of this. And I have a, I have a good friend who um, is just a humble, humble guy, and and um, he does not live life in a fancy way at all. And he doesn't buy new stuff or uh, wear fancy clothes or update his house or anything like that. But one of the things that he would do on a regular basis is he would um, put funds into an account and he would just say, bless people with this. And he would say, however, however you think it needs to be done. And, uh, you know, it was kind of funny because sometimes he would get on my case a little bit about going, there's too much money in the account. You're not, you're not blessing people enough. And, um, he wasn't worried about who it went to or how it was used. I had another accountability network just because I wanted it for me. But that mindset, you know, a worldly perspective would say, you know, if you held this back, you could, you know, buy yourself a new vehicle. You, you could do things in your house. And, and that was his mindset. His mindset was, it's not mine. It's, it's God's. Who am I to hold on to it? Or who am I to make my life this much better with God's resources? And it was fun to be able to report to him sometimes the way that people responded to those blessings. Sometimes it was helping somebody get a used car or, or coming in and, and paying rent for a single mom or, or helping somebody uh, with a student uh, loan or something like that. It was just, it was such a cool thing. And I, I loved his mindset and his, his biggest rule was nobody's to know that I'm doing this. And uh, he said, when they want to thank somebody, just tell them to thank God. And I think that's such a cool mindset. And that's, that's the beauty of that generosity in secret, too. It kind of speaks to what we see in Matthew 6 there, that, you know, not letting the right hand know what the left hand's doing. It's just these side handoffs of, of blessings. Um, that way, the, the credit has to go to God. And I just thought his mindset on that was really cool. Living open-handedly. What a great way to live, to bring glory to God. Hey, Parkview. My name is Will Fieldberth. I'm the worship director. Uh, and here at Parkview, we are committed to glorify God through the whole church, forming whole disciples for the good of all people. And so in this series, we're looking specifically at what Parkview's definition of a whole disciple is. You've heard this many times already in this series, but a whole disciple is a forgiven child of God who is taking the next step to learn Jesus, love Jesus, and live Jesus. Each one of these three L's we have broken down into an upward, an inward, and an outward area of health. 
I will be looking at the way we are called to live Christ outwardly as we seek to invite others to take the next step toward Jesus. This attribute of discipleship includes both a commitment to encourage believers in their faith and share the gospel with unbelievers, because both are rooted in a desire to help others learn Jesus. Too often we separate discipleship and evangelism into separate practices, but discipleship is a holistic process that includes evangelizing unbelievers along with helping believers to grow in their faith. Scripture is full of both motivators and commands to disciple others, but really where we should start is looking at the example of Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus went out of his way to interact with people, invite them to potentially hard conversations, and reveal himself to them as the only source of comfort and hope. Romans 15.7 calls us to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us, and the way that Christ has welcomed us is through sacrificial love in our weakness in order to build us up. So let's look at a couple of these examples, these commands and motivators given in Scripture to imitate Christ in the work of disciple-making. Uh, first, we have what's, what's known as the Great Commission, or one version of it. In Matthew 28, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm sure many of you have heard this many times uh, as, as it's quoted frequently in the church, but in this passage is obviously a command to evangelize to unbelievers. That is such a wonderful holistic picture of discipleship. And it's not just given to the 11 disciples here present here. It's continuing to be applicable to us today as Jesus again reminds them that he is with them always to the end of the age. And so that's, again, just another comfort that we can be, as we go out to make disciples, we can know that Christ is with us through the power of the Holy Spirit as we seek to witness to the ends of the earth. Whether or not we go out to other nations or whether we're here, Christ has called us to disciple others. Second, we'll look at Romans 10, 14 through 17, as, a, as an example of the way that Christ has called us, um, or as, as a reason for why Christ has called us to um, proclaim the gospel. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news! But they have, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. God has given us the privilege and challenge of being involved in the work of disciple making and building up the church. God could have chosen to use dreams or divine intervention to bring everyone to himself, but he has involved us, he has commissioned us to go and proclaim the gospel. God has called each one of us to preach the good news in our own unique setting and calling because faith comes through hearing. And how will they hear unless we tell them? This again applies to both unbelievers and believers that the Lord has given us community to build one another up and given us opportunities to speak into one another's lives, whether that is to hear Jesus for the first time or to grow in our faith. Finally, 2 Corinthians 5 goes back to this example of sacrificial love shown in Christ as he welcomes us. And it reveals the right motivation for why we do discipleship, why we do evangelism. I'm going to read a bigger section here, but I think it's important. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 20. It says, For the love of Christ controls us or compels us because we have concluded this, 
that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Christ, moved by compassion, by kindness, by love, that same love that led him to the cross on our behalf, came towards us in our weakness and our sinfulness. As Paul shows here, that same love is, is what compels us to move uh, towards others as ambassadors, implying, er, uh, imploring them to co- be reconciled to God. Paul's great love for the church in Corinth is clearly on display here, and that's, that's a mark throughout his letters to churches, is the way that he has that deeply affectionate, desirous love. He's praying in thankfulness, rejoicing with them in their triumphs and mourning in their trials, their setbacks. He is compelled by the love of Christ to see individuals come to believe the true gospel in the church to be strengthened. So I think this point right here is so important to grasp. So often evangelism becomes a point of shame or guilt. The Bible does have many commands for evangelism, but, but, but primarily evangelism should be motivated by love. It should not be something we do because we, we know that our community group leader is going to ask us how it went the next time and we want to give them the right answer. It shouldn't be a chore because our church has mandated it or set up programs to do it. it shouldn't, discipleship should not be something that we feel like we have to do. The love of Christ shown towards us in the gospel should create in us a deep love for others, both believers and unbelievers, and should lead us to want what is truly best for them. And as Christians, we believe that what is truly best for them is growing in Christ-likeness, is coming to know Christ, experiencing the freedom, the true eternal life that he has to offer. So we should pray, not primarily that each of us grows in rhythms of evangelism and discipleship. Those are important things to pray for. But we should pray primarily that we would grow in an awareness of the love shown to us in Christ, And that therefore that love would overflow in a love towards others and a desire for them to grow in Christ as well. You've probably heard this quote before from the atheist and and magician Penn Jillette, but I think it's so powerful and convicting. He says that if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much more do you have to hate somebody to not do evangelism? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Instead, let us be filled with love towards others and let that love compel us to encourage them in the gospel, encouraging believers to take the next step in faith, to have deeper relationship with God and teaching unbelievers the great hope that they can have in Christ. We have the best news in the world and we want to share that with those around us. So at the heart of this area of discipleship is looking around at the people that God has placed for you to love in your life and saying, how does God intend to use me to build up the church? It involves recognizing what God has done in your own life through the faithfulness of men and women around you. 
and asking, how can I bless others in the same way? Think back to the first person who shared Jesus with you, whether that was a parent or a youth group leader or a Sunday school teacher or even just a friend. Think about what your life would be like if they had been too scared to say, to speak up and tell you about the gospel. Or think about the person who invited you to read the Bible in a discipleship relationship once a week and the fruit that that has produced in your life. Or the person who invited you to join in a community group, get plugged in with that community of believers. Or think about your faithful community group member who prays every morning for your growth in time management and sends you texts to encourage you when they think of it. These are all examples of faithful men and women simply helping others take the next step towards Jesus. It doesn't have to be flashy or big. It's the small steps of love and faithfulness in relationships to show people Christ. So what does health look like in this area? Again, first and foremost, it means examining your own heart for the motivation of love towards others. If this is not there, pray that the Lord would grow you in this. Pray that he would fill you with love towards those around you and a conviction that the good news of the gospel is worth sharing with those people. Outwardly, I think primarily it means displaying a serious sense of spiritual initiative in the relationships of those people around you. It means looking at those people in your life and seriously asking yourself, how can I help them take the next step towards Jesus? For the non-Christians in your life, that probably means they need to hear the gospel. But first, it might mean continuing to establish a relationship, getting lunch with them, getting coffee with them, asking them uh, to come over for a, game, uh, for a basketball game. It's truly listening to them in order to understand what aspect of the gospel needs to be emphasized or how to show the love of Jesus to them. It's earnestly praying for opportunities, for open doors, that, they would be able, that you would be able to share the love of Jesus with them and that their heart would be ready to receive it. As you look at how you can help other believers grow in knowing Christ, it's looking for specific ways that you can encourage them in their faith. Each person is in a different place with specific needs and it takes perseverance and relationship to see the Lord work in them. It means speaking up when you need to not stay silent because of fear or discomfort. Awkwardness will often lead you to want to stay silent but speaking up in faithfulness, knowing that the Lord will give you words to say is what he asks for people who long to see them grow in Christ. And so with that, it also means that you are growing in your ability to speak into these different situations. For unbelievers, it means that you're growing in your ability to share the gospel and contextualize it to specific people. This might mean rehearsing the gospel or practicing it with someone, practicing those key points and thinking ahead with how can I share the gospel with this person, growing in that. Maybe it's practicing in your community group, going around and having each person share the gospel so they can feel comfortable with that presentation. For, for discipling believers, it means that you're ready to be present with ways to grow, whether that's a Bible reading plan or a book that you've enjoyed um, that you found helpful and want to read with them. If you need help with any of these, please do not hesitate to reach out to staff. I know a great way that you can help others, uh, other people in this church grow is that uh, maybe you can help identify in each other's lives ways that you need to grow as a whole disciple. These, these ser the series that we're going through, maybe something stood out to you as a way you can help one another grow, and we'll have plenty of resources to help you do that. Um, so please feel free to reach out to staff. Uh, this is a 
this can be an in-the-moment thing as you continue to love one another, care for one another, but it also is something that requires planning, requires preparation. And so be faithful in that, that preparation to whether that's share the gospel with an unbeliever or to help a believer take the next step. One specific practice that you can start in order to get established with this is, and this isn't new, but write down two names after prayerfully examining your life. Write down two names of people that you think of. The first is one person in your life who doesn't currently know Jesus. Begin praying specifically for that person each day and ask that the Lord would open doors for next steps in the gospel. Set goals and share those goals with others so that they can help you hold you accountable for how you plan to deepen that relationship and eventually share the gospel with that person. The second person is a believer that you would want to start meeting with. This may be someone in your community group or somebody you meet on Sunday mornings or somebody you serve in the same ministry with. It doesn't have to be somebody who's behind you or less mature. I know that uh, as even in my own life, as I've met with men, I've seen the mutual encouragement that can happen so many times um, for both people. And so just invest in that relationship. Look for opportunities to help that individual grow in Christ and you'll see how the Lord works in your own life through that relationship as well. Growing in Jesus is such an important aspect, and as we look at Christ's example, as we look to the love that he has shown us, we should want to share that with others. We should want to bring others alongside of us. We should want to look and run towards Christ together. And so as we are filled with that love, we can seek out others and know that the Lord will move to continue to multiply disciples in his church and continue to build his kingdom. It's been so sweet to be with you all during this series of examining the definition of a whole disciple. And we hope that you enjoyed this as we went through the sermon series on Sunday mornings as well. We hope this has been beneficial to you and that you would continue to grow as a part of Parkview Church. And so if you have any more questions, if you want to know how to uh, get any more resources, please check the description box down below. We'll have more resources available and more opportunities for you to continue to grow as we seek to glorify God together and uh, through the whole church forming whole disciples for the good of all people.